Welcome to F1 Coffee Corner for Beans. I'm your host as always, Terry, and I'm here to keep you up to date with all of the unbiased, hard-hitting Formula 1 news. So grab your favourite mug of coffee, sit down, strap in and get yourself comfortable to join in the conversation. Because this is F1 Coffee Corner. This is Full Beans, the must-have podcast for all Formula 1 fans. Are we on? Yes, we are. I believe we are go. Lights out and away we go. This is season three of F1 Coffee Corner, Full Beans of Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Terry, and I'm here to bring you the latest in what's happening in the world of Formula 1. So let's sit down, strap in, and give this week's episode some Full Beans. Welcome back to season three. Season three, where has the time gone? And this is the first of a new year, so happy new year to those who haven't spoken to already. And once again, thank you for joining F1 Coffee Corner Full Beans Podcast. Now, what have we got this week? We've got some exciting news from the world of Formula One. It may be January. We had thought it might be a little bit quiet. However, the teams have prepared to that, really, with, well, quite frankly, loads of breaking news and loads to catch up on. So what are we going to discuss today? We are going to discuss, quite obviously, the biggest story of the winter break, Gunstein leaving Haas. We're also going to talk a bit around Red Bull powertrains. Quite important, coming to the forefront, especially as we hit 2024. We're going to be talking about car launches and what to expect from the teams at a car launch, because I realise there are some people who actually may never have come across a car launch. And it's always good to jog your memory before we get into pre-season testing and then obviously the season itself. We're going to talk about Mercedes contract extensions. We've got Toto's one, and we've also got the fresh breaking news of James Allison as well. We're going to talk about can anyone catch Red Bull and development? And also, finally, we're going to finish off with just why has Zach Brown got a bee in his bonnet about Alpha Tauri and Red Bull all of a sudden? Now, for those of you who've seen it, you would have seen that he is querying heavily the partnership between the two. So we're going to delve a little bit into why Zach has got a bit of beef with Red Bull. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. The breaking story of the winter break had to be Gunter Steiner after almost 10 years leaving Haas Formula 1 team. Now, this was a move many of us didn't see coming. It was a move which I certainly muted last year that might need to happen for Haas to move forward. But it's not one, honestly, that I thought was going to happen. And it's certainly one that I didn't expect to happen at the time it happened. And also, in terms of appointments going forward, it doesn't make sense to what is going on at Haas. So, for those of you who don't know, Gunter Steiner received a phone call between Christmas and New Year from Gene Haas, which, rather than sacking him, was effectively not renewing his contract. So, it's not a sacking as such, but it is by the fact he didn't get a new contract. Um, it's clear from what Gunter said. Now, I was lucky enough to listen to Gunter speak in his first appearance since the news broke at the Autosport International Show. Um, was lucky enough to meet him and grab a minute with him. Um, absolutely amazing chap, full of beans. Get it? Nice plug there. Full of beans and also, you know, quite clearly at ease with what's going on in terms of his departure from Haas. He had had some time to process it before he faced the public, which I think was good from his point of view. Um, some disappointing things. He wasn't allowed to say goodbye to the staff at Haas, which when you think about it, Gunter Steiner built that team up. OK, Gene Haas provided the backing, but it was Gunter who provided the initial blueprint, initial outlay, recruited a lot of new staff. So to hear he didn't have the opportunity to go back to Banbury and, you know, the offices in Maranello, obviously North Carolina as well, to actually speak to the team members that he recruited to say bye. Feels a little bad from Gene Hassler, if I'm honest. 
and it feels a little bit petty. I think that that could have been handled a lot better. And I don't think that Gene Haas has come out of this looking like empathetic sort of team team boss for all that Gunter done for Haas before, obviously, the disappointment of last year. But going back to Gunter himself, so Gunter has left. Um, Komatsu has been appointed the team principal. Now, he was head of engineering, head of trackside engineering, I believe, before he took on this role. Has been with Haas right from the very start. Um, has come out literally just yesterday saying that he envisages to be a different team principal to Gunter. He's not going to be the same way as him. Gene Haas has said how they want to go down a more engineering route. They want to you know, completely get that Ferrari partnership and all the benefits that they have from teaming up with Ferrari. Gene has said that they were spending almost up to the cost cap, so that, that so that's not a problem. Gunter's given us a little bit of a different story, saying that he went for more money and couldn't get it, and that Gene wanted more from the technical partnership, which obviously Gene has elaborated on in the appointment of Komatsu. Now, for me personally, I don't think we've seen evidence that Haas have been spending up to the cost cap. They may have the capability with the 20 million money gram sponsorship that came into force last year, but it doesn't feel like a team that's been heavily invested in development, if I'm honest, from what I've seen from the outside. Now, I'm not for one minute calling Gene Haas a lawyer. Please don't think that. I just think that signs are there that they, if they have been spending up to the cost cap, they certainly haven't been utilising it in the best way, that's for sure. But in terms of Gunter himself, so Gunter's obviously gone. It looks like he's going to possibly do some media work. It looks like he's going to be looking at maybe come back to Formula 1. He shouldn't have any gardening leave since he's out of contract, so he is free to take up a role. We know there are a couple knocking about with Alpine still appointing the team principal. They've got Bruno Famine as an interim team principal. So from what I can gather, from what Gunter said, he's disappointed. He respects Gene's decision. It doesn't feel like the relationship ended on the best possible way. Um, he was very diplomatic, I would say is the right word, about his relationship with Gene. And he also made the point of obviously speaking about not being able to say goodbye. So there is a lot there to unpack. I do think a change was needed from Haas. I'm not sure that changing Gunter was the right thing with you know losing obviously their technical director in the same same day as well, who went back to Ferrari. He was on loan from Ferrari and went back to Ferrari. So they do look a bit like they're struggling for direction. They have announced they're going to do two shakedowns instead of a car launch. So they're going to do a shakedown, I believe, February the 11th. I could be wrong on that date, but certainly around that date, around Silverstone is their first shakedown. And they're also going to do another one two days before testing in Bahrain on the Monday before pre-season testing. So Haas clearly has some concerns about the car. They clearly aren't happy with the development of the car because, number one, they obviously didn't renew Gunter's contract. Now, that's probably come about on the back of the wind tunnel. So I imagine they've come back after the, the winter break or certainly going up to the winter break. They've put the car in the wind tunnel. They've looked at CFD designs on the computers and it's not given them what they wanted, which is why obviously Gene has gone, I want to change the direction. The issue I've got with this is Komatsu is part of that team. And I said this in one of my earlier videos on it, on, on TikTok, you can catch it. But if you've got someone who's been part of the problem, they, there's no guarantee that even though they've been promoted, and this is taking nothing away from Komatsu, but he might not be the person to take them forward. Sometimes it's better to go out and get fresh ideas. It's better to bring some someone new in and harness that ability that you've got by opening up their eyes to sort of doing away different. Now, it might be that Gunter was stifling development by actually going my way or the highway. So it could actually be the opposite. And um, we have seen the engineering people coming up in Andrea Stella at McLaren, that there is actually a team which 
as a team principal, moving it from an engineering role, you can deliver it. So that's not to say that Hassan made a bad appointment. I just personally feel that they would have been better getting someone outside coming in. You've got people like Benotto, who's finished their gardening league. You've got Otmar, who actually you could negotiate a deal with to bring him in. There are people out there who are very experienced team principals, who I feel for a team like Haas would have been really beneficial to bring on board at this point in their journey to try and get them up. Gene Haas has re-emphasised that he's not selling the team, it's not for sale. A lot of talk about Andresi having a look around it. A lot of talk about them thinking, could I could I get away into it? Is this Andresi's way around, you know, sort of the Concord agreements around getting Formula One management back in, which seems lacking? It could still happen. Um, the boom is sort of plateauing out in terms of Formula One. So we are getting to the height. So I think if we start to see a decline in team's valuation, we might see Gene Haas thinking, actually, can I get X amount of money from Andresi for selling Haas? But at the moment, I think he'd be prudent to keep it. I think he will keep it. It's worth a lot of money. The cost cap has made the teams commercially a lot more viable. Haas is not a team that are struggling in terms of money anymore because of obviously what the cost cap has done for the teams and obviously the sponsorship of partners like MoneyGram. So I do feel that Gene Haas at the moment certainly isn't under any financial pressure to sell. But with a decline in results, we know they finished 10th in the constructors. If we get to midway through next year and they're still around that mark again, and we're seeing a decline in Formula One viewership and Formula One value. And we see Andretti not getting their Formula One management sort of approval. Would that then open the doors to a serious discussion between Andretti and Gene has to come into Formula One? I think it certainly would do. But I think at the moment, we've got to take what Gene is saying as the truth. And that is that we're not going to see a sale of Haas. Their partnership in terms of the drivers, it was brought in for experience. We know that they obviously replaced Mick Schumacher. Now, when they came on board, the whole point was that that partnership was going to get in points, and that hasn't happened. Now, yes, there's an argument to say about the car design, quite clearly and quite obviously, but I think both those drivers out of contracts at the end of this year have to get the ball rolling. Kevin Magnussen was poor last year. Um, Hulkenberg was great in qualifying, fell to bits on a Sunday. So they need to improve on that performance, both of those as well, if they're going to stay. There is a lot of drivers snapping at heels to get a place in Formula 1. Taylor Paul Chair, you've got Oli Behrman, who obviously, you know, Ferrari would love to push Hass's way, who's been doing obviously free practice for them. You've also got lots of Felipe Drugovic, who would bring a cash injection. There are a lot of people out there. And of course, we've got the 14 drivers a massive 14 driver market that is going to open up the possibilities. And at some point, those drivers will need to drive and has may become an attractive proposition for someone who's been displaced somewhere during that merry-go-round. That's certainly going to happen in the summer of 2024. So in terms of has going forward, what do I think? I think that they're going to be another season of trouble. I think that the teams around them are making big moves. Alpha Tauri, big moves. We'll come on to them with Zach Brown later on. Williams making these huge strides. Seventh last year talking up a lot about this year's car, talking a lot about how they can gain performance, how they can get more out of the car. You know, I think that Williams are a team on the move. Pat Fry joined them. They have made a lot of appointments in the right place. Jane Vowles has got a whole season under them. This is his first pre-season. So Williams are going to be a dark horse to watch and they could be leaving Haas behind. You know, if AlphaTauri's partnership kicks in, they're going to leave Haas behind. So I think Haas are in probably where Williams were a few years ago. They've almost become where where Williams were. So it's going to be interesting to see their situation going forward. They need some appointments in terms of technical support and they need to utilise that Ferrari partnership. But the problem with that Ferrari partnership is at the moment, 
it seems to wait for Ferrari to do something and not develop it yourself. And that kind of feels like it's a poor development route to wait for the parts from Ferrari. So it's always going to put you on the back for it because Ferrari are not big at development in terms of little and often. Ferrari like to bring a package. They like to get everything together and then drop it somewhere like you know, Baku, somewhere like Barcelona. That's when they bring these packages to forefront, Austin. That's where we get these big things, Singapore. Yeah, what they don't do is they don't drip feed, which for Haas is really bad because naturally Ferrari will try the parts on their car first before they filter it down to the customer, which in this case is obviously, yeah, Stake F1, almost forgot their name then, and obviously um, Haas themselves. So, yeah, Gunter's going to be a big loss to the Formula 1 paddock. He's a big personality. Um, obviously, he drives to survive. They're going to be absolutely gutted that he's gone. Um, I'm not quite sure who they're going to highlight now. But I don't think it's the last we're going to see a Gunter in the Formula 1 paddock. And I certainly think he'll be doing media work for Sky as the season gets on as well, if nothing comes to the forefront from it. So, you know, fair play to Gunter. I think he took the team as far as he could. I think it's time for a change. I'm not too sure on the changes that Haas made, but I kind of feel that we're going to be in for another couple of bad seasons if you're a Haas fan, which, yeah, I'm sorry, Henry. I know you'll be watching and listening to this. Um, for those who don't know that, that's Henry the Haas chap. Go give him a follow on social media. Um, he's a great guy, all-round Haas fan. But I think that you might be in for a bit of trouble for the next couple of years, I'm afraid to say, mate. But it may be seen. We've seen these appointments go the other way. But for me, they're not showing enough in terms of signs of development. And by having two of their shakedowns straight away leads you to think there's a lot of trouble at Haas before the season even gets started. So intrigued to know what you will think. Intrigued to know what you think is next for Gunter. Can you see him coming back to a Formula 1 team? Can you see him doing some media work? Or is he just going to take a long-deserved break and show up in a paddock every so often? Drop in the comments what you think is the future for Gunter Sainer. Right, car launches. Car launches are coming thick and fast. Let me just pull up the latest info on car launches. So stay with me while I find it. Right, so confirmed car launches at the moment. We've got Williams on the 5th of February. That will be held in the Puma store at New York. We've got Stake F1. Let's call them Stake F1. Let's do their name bit of justice. Um, or Salva. We all know they're going to be called Salva. They're due on the 5th of February. They're going to be launching from London. So same day as Williams. Alpine is penciled in from the 7th of February. They're doing a joint launch with their WEC cars, I believe. Um, Racing Bulls is penciled in for the 9th of February. Not confirmed, however, by themselves. And with a new team name. Someone needs to do better with these team names. Haas are not having the car launch as such. They're having a shakedown, as I mentioned, at Silverstone on 11th of February. So expect them to drop their livery online before that date or even on that date. And then they're going to take the car onto track, but that is not televised in any way. Aston Martin, Silverstone at the new factory, obviously, 12th of February. Ferrari, 13th of February. Um, they normally do something at Marinello and then do a shakedown afterwards. Mercedes, 14th of February. They're also having a shakedown at Silverstone following that. Now, McLaren you know, surprised everybody the other day with their um, bad reputation era. Taylor Swift kind of referenced him on their social media. They privatised everything, dropped a teaser, and then dropped the livery on like a random Tuesday afternoon. Don't even know what's going on there. But they are due on the 14th of February. Now, what we're going to see from them is more likely some talking about the car launch. We've seen the livery. They've already announced that. It's going to be on the Formula 1 game. 
there is a competition that they're running, so get yourself over there. I'll touch a bit on competitions at the end of this because they are quite relevant. But they are due on the 14th February, and then we've got Red Bull on the 15th February, but they haven't yet announced where they're going for their car launch. Obviously, last year they did New York, but that was on the back of the Ford announcement and some other things. So in terms of car launches, that's what we've got. Now, teams that run the competitions, Williams have got a competition via the app where you can attend in New York. Obviously, you've got to make your own travel and your own hotel arrangements there. So bear that in mind when you are entering. Um, the other one is Aston Martin through IAM, through that, that link and that competition. They've got tickets to the launch at Silverstone. So if you want, want to head on over to that one to give that one a go as well. Mercedes are also, also doing a giveaway. Um, link is in their bio on social media. So head on over to them and yeah, have an enter at that one. It is saying it's open for UK residents only, I believe. Um, there's been a lot of backlash on that on social media about them not opening that one up. So that's their car launch. And I haven't seen anything yet from McLaren or Red Bull. Um, but most likely Red Bull, if they do anything, will do it through obviously the paddock, which they, they run alongside it, which they're revamping. And McLaren will probably be through the McLaren app. So keep your on loads for loads. But at the moment, you can potentially win tickets to car launches, which is great if you get to go. Now, coming on to car launches, the bit I wanted to touch about is the bit around what to expect from a car launch. Now, in the past, every car has launched their car. It's been kind of staple. That's what you've done. Over the past couple of seasons, what we tend to get now is we're getting show cars with the new livery on them. So they are more a livery launch than a car launch. You do get your team that take their car for a shakedown, which it will be a car. But if that's the case, you don't see the close-up. And normally when they release the renders of the livery, it's not on that car. So if you get my drift on that one. So what we're going to get is when you see the cars launch, don't think that they're the new cars. They are most likely a show car that's been wrapped with the new livery just to show you what it's like. So don't kind of, I suppose what I'm saying is don't believe those social media posts when people put up, oh, look, this is new on this car or this is new on that which is going to happen. A lot of teams will want to keep it under wraps until we get to pre-season testing in Bahrain. We've only got one pre-season tested. It's been cut by 30 minutes. The teams will not want to give out any advantages whatsoever. So don't be surprised to see these cars on older cars just wrapped. It is a livery launch. It's for the sponsors nowadays. It's not for the car itself. So just bear that one in mind. I'll give you more details as they come up. And obviously any more competitions are dropping into a video and obviously you put it all over social media. But if you fancy chances of those ones, like I say, Williams have got one, Aston Martin have got one, Mercedes have got one. And I think that was it for now. But So they've got tickets to launches. So give it a go. I was lucky enough to go to the IAM fan event in London, which was the launch of their AMR 23. That was done at Silverstone, but they beamed it to an event in London. It was absolutely great. Got to talk to mechanics, got to talk about yeah, what was going on with the team, steps forward, and look at some cool stuff like steering wheels. They had Sims there. It was all televised on the big screen. It was really good. So if you do get the opportunity, certainly try and enter it, because they are definitely worth going for. And that is what you need to know about car launches. Like I said, just don't believe all these people dissecting these pictures of cars going, look at this new part on the Mercedes or Look at this Red Bull, because we ain't going to know anything until we get tested. We've got contracts extensions with Mercedes. This is quite relevant and bang up to date. So a couple of days ago, we saw that Toto had extended his contract for three years. So it takes him up to the end of 2026. So into the new regulations and to the end of that season. A lot of confusion online. 
about why Toto needs a contract because he's a team owner. Um, two things. One, there's a cost cap reason. Now, Toto can't carry out the role as Mercedes team principal without having a contract because you can't then attribute it to the cost cap and you will be seen as breaking the cost cap. So there, there's a a regulation reason to why Toto has a contract, um, as well as purely because Toto isn't a majority owner in Mercedes. Now, Mercedes were 2020, I believe, that the deal was done with Ineos. When Ineos came on board, they came on board as not only a sponsor for Mercedes, but also as part owner. So when that happened, Mercedes or Daimler, so Mercedes road car company Daimler, they reduced their shareholding from 60% down to 33%. They then made sure that Toto had 33% and that Ineos came in at 33%. So each of the three controlling parties have equal ownership of Mercedes Formula 1 team. And the whole point behind that is not one section of the team can make a business decision without at least getting one of the others on board. So you need two out of the three to push anything through. Um, they've enjoyed the work of relationship, which is absolutely fine. Toto is in control of his own destiny. Toto, he's never worked with any performance clauses in his contract. Um, he's certainly not got one now. He's That's been made perfectly clear. And it seems to me that Toto could be team principal for as long as Toto wants to be team principal. It's up to him when he decides to go. A lot of speculation this might be the time. I personally think that Toto will go hand-in-hand with Lewis. I think we'll see an all-change at Mercedes when Lewis retires. I think Toto will then step back into a executive role within Mercedes, so more of a team owner, more of a Zach Brown role, and then we get a team principal come on board, probably someone like James Owls, who's been at Williams by then a few years, and I think Mercedes have done that deliberately to try and then coax him back further down the line. And there's a lot of people who share that sentiment that he's an obvious replacement for Toto when Toto goes. But at the moment, we've got three years of Toto. Now, on the back of that, we've also had the announcement just this morning before I filmed this podcast of James Allison signing. So James Allison has also committed to Mercedes into the new regulations. Doesn't say how long it is. I imagine it's the same length of time as Toto up until the end of 2026 because it does say taking us into the new regulations. So James Allison, obviously, he stepped back into the role of technical officer from his previous role, which is what he was doing with Ineos Boat Project and overseeing Mercedes as a whole, back to the day-to-day running of the team, back to designing the car. W15 would, of course, be the James Allison first design car of the current regulations. Um, he's inherited the W14. He might have done a bit of work in terms of upgrades, getting it ready for the W15. But we said that what we've heard is that his sole focus has been on the W15. So this is the first car that James Allison has designed. And if I'm honest, I'm a little bit excited to see if he can close that gap. Um, it comes on to, can anyone catch Red Bull, which we're going to discuss in a minute, and Red Bull powertrains. But yeah, James Allison, you know, great signing for Mercedes. You know, four constructor titles, uh, four drivers titles, sorry, five constructor titles back-to-back. Yeah, absolutely huge to have him back on the day-to-day running for Mercedes. You know, it just wasn't the same with Mike Elliott. They didn't get the results they wanted. The past two years have been a huge disappointment. Um, but also, James Allison's got a lot to live up to in terms of can he close the gap on that? Because if Mercedes have a poor year on a car designed by him, it's going to you know, ask questions of, does Mercedes need a bigger overall? We know they've lost some really great key people because of obviously the cost cap. And we know that they've struggled in not having that engine advantage that they might have had in the dominant years that we've seen with the engine freezing place. So... I've got full faith that certainly 2026 engine regulations will put Mercedes back on the front foot. And I think that James Allison is the right person to take it forward. 
I'm not sure who you would have had to replace James Allison at the moment. So I'm quite excited for W15 personally. I want to see if they can bridge that gap to Red Bull. I want to see if it is able to bridge that gap to Red Bull. Um, so yeah, James Allison, Total Wolf, both locked in. Both drivers in 25, end of 2025. So they're locked in as well for a couple of years. So it looks like Mercedes has got some good stability going forward as we enter the new regulations. So they're not going to pay any part, it looks like, in the silly season of 2024, that's for sure. Then we've got Red Bull and Red Bull powertrains. I'll put the two together because I want to just touch on this one. Sip of the coffee? I want to touch on this one because it's quite... Yeah, we've got a lot to talk about Red Bull and Red Bull dominance. Now, a couple of things I want to point out. First of all, Red Bull dominance has only been going on for two seasons. All this talk of Red Bull dominating Formula 1 and it's bad for the sport. We've just come out of the back of eight constructors titles for Mercedes. You know, we can't then go, oh, well, Red Bull dominated for two years. Let's rip the rules up and peg them back and stuff like that. And yes, there will be people going, you know, Mercedes got pegged back. We had rule changes and we did. But we've got massive rule changes coming in 2026. We've got a budget cap now that stops teams, you know, running off into the distance as such. But what it does do, this cost cap that we got, it stops teams catching up. Now, Red Bull absolutely nails the new regulations. They come out of the, you know, come out of the gates running, fired out with this absolute rocket ship of a car, developed it into the RB19, which is going to go down in, you know, history as the most dominant car ever in Formula 1 at the hands of Max. You know, Max is driving absolutely imperiously. Can't put a foot wrong. Not under pressure will be what I would say for Max in terms of the driver's championship. Um, it remains to be seen if anyone can get closer, whether or not we'll get a difference in Max's driving or not. Because, yeah, certainly last season, it didn't feel like he was under enormous pressure consistently from rivals. So whether or not that will change his driving style or whether or not it just continue as he has been doing. But one thing you can't deny is that Max has been in absolutely amazing form and three back-to-back world championships, Odds on to get a fourth this year. Um, do I see anyone pulling Red Bull back? The thing that I see about Red Bull and their development is, if you look at the cars, with no regulation change, that actually works out really well for the other teams because the teams have now got an understanding. We know that Adrian Newey had a great understanding of these ground effect cars, but the other teams have now caught up with that in terms of understanding. It's taken them a while but they now know what to expect from the cars and how they behave. And they've got the wind tunnel and CFD correlation to on-track performance. They've got all these things that caused them a problem actually now fixed and are making steps forward. We saw Aston Martin make huge steps. We've seen yeah, McLaren make great strides as well. Now that leads to believe that the teams have got a good idea over where to go with this. With that in mind, with no regulation change and a cost cap, we might see Red Bull being pegged back. Because there will come a point where you reach the ceiling of development, where you're talking tenths and you can't make a big game. You're only talking one or two tenths. Now, yes, that's a lot in Formula 1, one or two tenths, but it's not as big as someone who could potentially get four tenths, five tenths, you know, half a second game with a jump in performance, which some of the others have shown is possible. So if the teams can get to that, we know that most of Red Bull's development last year actually came from their weight saving, from using their new carbon fibre. So a lot of it was just purely because the car was lighter. And um, we know about the triple DRS, but so does everybody else. We know we've seen the floor, so they understand the floor effects and how that's working with all the all the ventry on it and, and the way it distributes the air out the back 
out the back of the diffuser, the single beam effect, what happens when they open the DRS and such it lower. All of the teams will have an understanding of that now and would have been able to incorporate that into the design. Now, the question is, do Red Bull have something in their locker to take them even further? Has Adrian Newey and the design team got something which the other teams don't know about yet? Or is it a case of evolution rather than revolution with the RB20? Which, if it's evolution, might just leave them open to being caught up by the other teams as well. Towards the end of the season, we saw teams getting quicker and quicker. It wasn't enough to challenge, but certainly it was enough to say that there is some room for development. And a lot of teams are talking about the scope. And ultimately, what we're boiling down to now, the cars have been fast since regulation change. Even Mercedes have had a fast car. What they've not been able to do is operate it at the window they're designed to be. So that's the ride height, which Mercedes has certainly struggled with. And even Ferrari, Ferrari's been more around tyre deck, but Mercedes has been ride height. They can't run the car low enough to get the settings that they got in the winter and on, on the simulator to compete. When they can do that, which they're hoping W15 can do now, they can then mess about with that setup more to get those extra tents that you need to challenge for wins and everything. We know that Ferrari have suffered mainly from tyre deg, so that'd be something they'd be looking to, to fix. That's the thing with the strategy department. If you've got a car that's constantly churning up its tyres and wrecking their tyres, it doesn't matter how good your strategy team is, you will always be on that foot. So it's clearly a Ferrari problem. So if they can fix that, that's going to help those teams as well in terms of performance. But Red Bull, I didn't think, were flat out last year. I think they kept performance in reserve. Um, there's been a little bit of, you know, bit of speculation, bit of gossip that they kept it in reserve because they don't want the FIA to peg them back and the, the Red Bull could have been like a second faster. That remains to be seen. Um, but I do think if you look at Max, I don't think he was driving flat out. I don't think the engine was turned up fully. And I don't think that the Red Bull was as fast as it could have been last year. So I do think there's performance gains in there. Whether or not it's as much as the second or not, I don't know. That remains to be seen. But in terms of development for Red Bull, let's see what they've got. I'm not convinced that they've got a huge amount. But then this is Adrian Newey, so I could be wrong on that one. Then we come on to Red Bull powertrains. Now, this is really interesting. A lot of talk about Red Bull powertrains. Obviously comes online in 2026. Born about because Honda pulled out of Formula 1. Christian then found that he had no one to get an engine from, so decided the only way was to build their own. Um, but realised that they were get, getting left behind in terms of engine tech and engine development. So asked for this engine freeze, while well, they basically caught up and started building their own engine. Um, the FIA obviously agreed that. That's why we've been in this current engine freeze for the past few seasons and will be until 2026. Now, Red Bull powertrains, there is a huge expectation on Red Bull powertrains to work because it's got to work. Um, for Red Bull, this is 2026 is going to be make or break for the team. Now, the reason Red Bull powertrains has to work is pure and simple. They have no alternative. They've invested so much time, so much money. There is no plan B if it doesn't work. They can't get an engine from anywhere else. So if this doesn't work, they are going to be left with a complete shit show of a car because the engine doesn't work leaving them completely vulnerable to potentially mats going if the car's crap, people leaving, no one getting engines from them, no one helping them to invent engine sort of data because they're not sharing the engines, obviously only with Tauri. They're going to have nothing to fall back on because they burnt their bridges with everyone else in terms of engine supply. So it has to work. Christian, you know, he's been open and honest about this, a lot of expectation on it because there is no plan B. Um, will it work? I think it will. I think that, yeah, the partnership with Ford 
So Ford are coming on board to do the electrical side of it and bring the expertise that way, which is a great move by Red Bull. Red Bull Powertrains is full of Honda, ex-Mercedes employees. We know that when Honda pulled the plug on Formula 1, um, yes, they're back with Aston Martin, but when they pulled the plug, a lot of the Honda staff moved over to Red Bull Powertrains because they wanted to stay in Formula 1 and they were already in Milton Keynes and in the area. So from that point of view, Red Bull Powertrains has got a huge amount of people behind it, a huge amount of expertise behind it from people who have built some very good engines over the years. So I think that Red Bull Powertrains will work. It's just a case of whether or not it's going to be competitive from the get-go. Um, they're being very coy about the performance of the engines, rightly so. You don't expect them not to be. Um, but all they've said is that they're on track at the moment. So that remains to be seen, really. But Red Bull Powertrains is hugely important for the future of Red Bull for all sorts of reasons. Like I say, if suddenly the car doesn't perform because of the engine, we saw what happened with Danny Ricciardo leaving back in the Renault argument days. That was the whole reason behind Danny Ricciardo going, because the engine was blown up every other week. And, you know, could we see the same with Max? You know, if Max gets to a point where he's got four or five titles by then, and he's out of contract in 2028, if the performance of the car isn't there in 2026 with a new engine supplied by Red Bull, and no alternative, remember, it's not like you can tear it up and go, I'll go get me a Mercedes engine. That's not going to happen because you basically pissed off the whole of the paddock by having this engine freeze put in place anyway. So you ain't ever going to be able to go through and get a supply from anybody. So you'll box into this corner. So if that happens, that leaves them very vulnerable from that. So I do think that Christian is feeling the pressure of Red Bull powertrains to work. Like I say, personally, what I'm seeing and hearing, I think it will. Um, and... Yeah, Red Bull don't do bad things. Okay, they're not a, a car manufacturer as such, and they're an energy drink people. But the irony between you know Red Bull taking this team, coming in as an engines you know manufacturer, and then now building championship winning cars, and potentially if they can build championship winning cars that are powered by them as well, is like the ultimate in Formula One, isn't it? Really, over massive road car companies like Honda, Mercedes. Ferrari, do you know what I mean? It's Alpine stroke Renault. It's like the ultimate, you know, two fingers up to them and saying, look at this. And that is very Christian thing to do, isn't it? So, yeah, I'm really excited to see where Red Bull Power Trains goes, but I think that they're going to be okay. I think they're going to be competitive. I think the Ford expertise on the engines will certainly help on a department they may have been lacking in. And I think by having Ford on board for that electrification part, Maybe only Aldi might be the only team who can ride for that in terms of expertise. Um, I know Mercedes done a lot of work on road car projects, you know, AMG One, things like that. So they've got that. Honda I really worry about. We're here in a tie-up with um, Honda in the United States rather than Honda in Japan. So that makes you think that they haven't got the right team in place at the moment. Could leave Aston Martin really vulnerable. However, it does make Aston Martin pretty much become a works Honda team on the back of Honda not actually, you know, supplying anybody else. So they're going to get exclusivity from Honda. So Aston Martin are going to get the benefits of that, but then also there could be a downside to that, couldn't there? We know that, you know, Alpha Tauri or, you know, Racing Bulls, whatever we're going to call them, still can't get used to that name. They're going to take on the Red Bull powertrain engine as well. That, that'll be a lot of data that Red Bull will be able to collect from that, obviously. And we know engine data goes back to the engine manufacturer. So when they when that kicks in as well, they're going to get all all those runnings, all those data, which can only help. So 
they're going to be on the front foot for that one. And I do think it's going to work, that's for sure. Then we've got Zach Brown with a bee in his bonnet. Now, anyone who's listened to Zach Brown over the past couple of months now, I'd say, he's been brewing for a while now. Zach has got a massive bee in his bonnet about AlphaTauri and Red Bull. He's using every single opportunity. We saw it at the car launch the other day, or livery launch, whatever you want to call it. He again talks about how Formula One and the FIA have to step in with AlphaTauri and Red Bull. So what is Zach's problem? Because ultimately, they've been sister teams for years now. This is not a new partnership. It's not new in terms of ownership. Nothing's changed on that front. And they've been buying parts from Red Bull. Now, last year, AlphaTauri did not buy as many parts as they were allowed to from Red Bull. They decided to develop their own car, and they got it wrong. And then towards the end of the season, they realised that you've got an RB19 where you can buy loads of parts from, and why on earth are you not buying it from them? Which is pretty uh, pretty simplistic, really. Why wouldn't you do that? So, in terms of car parts, there are three sorts of car parts. So, you've got parts that you can buy from another Formula 1 team. So, they're supply parts. So, you can go to a Formula 1 team, you can strike up an agreement with them, and you can say, I want to buy your rear suspension, your gearbox. Um, there are certain parts of the car that you can't buy. So they're mainly around aerodynamics. So front and rear wings, um, floors, side pods, all those things you have to design yourself. And then you've also got what's known as the FIA standardized list. They're parts of the FIA insist is the same on every single car. They tend to revolve around like steering wheel screens, um, certain components for like um, telemetry, telemetry, sorry, and and those things. So there's a list as well from the FIA that says you have to have these parts and they're the same in all the cars. So the partnership is no different to Haas buying from Ferrari. Let's get that out there. Or Williams buying from Mercedes or Aston Martin buying from Mercedes or Sauber buying from Ferrari. All of those contracts that happen is exactly the same as AlphaTauri and Red Bull. Let's get that out there. That is the fact. There, there is no no difference in that. And that list is the same list. Whether you're in Haas, whether you're in AlphaTauri, that list is identical. You're allowed to take X amount of parts and it's up to you how much like you take. So what is Zach's problem? Because that, to me, sounds absolutely fine. But it's the problem isn't the parts list. It's the facilities list. Now, teams do share facilities, but it's more on a business arrangement. So best way to describe this is... Aston Martin, they use Mercedes wind tunnel. Theirs is being constructed. Their wind tunnel is not ready yet, so they use Mercedes because it's down the road. Now, for this to happen, Mercedes has given them a separate door, separate computers, and basically they book it at different times. They come in through a different door. Um, for those who don't know layout at Brackley, you drive into the factory through the gatehouse and it's there on the right-hand side. So you don't even go into the main factory bit. So there is no crossover in terms of the two teams. It's a completely separate building on the right-hand side as you go into Brackley. It's there. So you just go in that way. They go at different times so that the other team can't come in. Um, and they do separate. So when we did our factory tour, they actually had Aston Martin in the wind tunnel. And the Mercedes key fobs don't work on the door. You can't get in there. And the doors are shut and the key fobs don't work. So there is security in place to stop any crossover and any share of information. We know that McLaren used Toyota's wind tunnel in Cologne until recently, where obviously they've now opened their own. So we know that these sharing of wind tunnels do happen. And we know that AlphaTauri still use um, the one at Red Bull, the, you know, the old World War II one. 
So we do know that these crossovers happen. So again, no different to what happens. Nothing new on that one. The beef that Zach has got with Red Bull is around facility sharing. So AlphaTauri last year announced this big partnership deal with Red Bull, uh, as in terms of we're going to make more of the partnership we got. So what they then announced was, wasn't that not only were they going to take more parts from Red Bull, which they did do, and certainly towards the end of the season, we saw a lot of Red Bull parts appearing on the AlphaTauri. And when we kick off this season, we will see as much as they can from it. But it was more around the collaborative partnership between the two. So at the moment, they have got offices out of the way from Milton Keynes. Theirs are in Bicester, I believe, in terms of AlphaTauri. So they got their factory in Italy. And then in terms of the aerodynamic department, that's all held in Bicester. Now, what's happening is that building's got too small as the team's grown. And AlphaTauri said, well, as we're moving, we're going to move to, you guessed it, Red Bull powertrains in Milton Keynes because that's going to save us a load of money, allow us to spend more on the cars, allow us to be closer in terms of wind tunnel, and that's fine. But what McLaren are then saying is, you've then got two teams sharing the same building for their main components. Now, at the moment, like I say, Aston Martin's garage, garage factory is in Silverstone. It's not at Brackley. They come in and just use that building. What AlphaTauri are doing that's going to be so different is they are literally going to be in the buildings next to Red Bull, on the same campus, behind the same gatehouse, on the same thing. Yes, those buildings will be separate, but how do you manage to cross over is what Zach's saying. How do you actually say that from that point of view, you can't get that information if you're on the same campus, if you're on the same area? And the other thing we've got is staff personnel. Now, when a member of staff leaves, if they're important to a team, they go on gardening leave. But that gardening leave is set by the team. It's not a standard thing in Formula 1. It's entirely up to the team whose contract holds is that person. Um, it's entirely set by the team, sorry, who has the contract for that person. Now, with that in mind, that means on paper, there's nothing to stop a Red Bull designer leaving Red Bull, Red Bull announcing that there's no garden leaf because they don't want to put any garden leaf in, and that person then joining AlphaTauri as a designer having sat next door at Red Bull. And um, it also talks about, yeah, what Zach's saying is what about crossover staff? So could Red Bull send staff on loan trial for Tari, for example? So could they send a design that way as a cost cap advantage? Because they could be saving, you know, thousands of pounds by transferring staff out. So could they just say, you know, person A, we don't want them anymore, so we're going to send them to AlphaTauri and save person A's wages on our cost cap because we might be slightly over. And then that person's got all that knowledge because you can stop computer knowledge, but what you can't do is you can't stop human knowledge. If someone's got that design in their head, you can't stop that. If they've seen it on a board, if they've seen it on a screen, if they've watched it being developed, yeah, we saw with you know Dan Fallows going to Aston Martin, he took those ideas with him because he was part of that design team. So he knew what they were. He didn't copy them in any way as such or copy them as in took them off a computer when he copied them because they're in his head. And you can't do that. So from that point of view, that's what Zach's saying. And what he's calling for is clearer guidelines between Formula One management and the FIA and sister team saying, how do we approach this? So I do understand from that point of view why Zach's got to be in his bonnet. And we look at performance. So if you've got the top three or four teams locked in, so if you go back to last season and you look at the top team, you've got obviously Red Bull, you've got Mercedes, you've got Ferrari, then you've got Aston Martin, then you've got McLaren. Well, McLaren are most at risk from AlphaTauri increasing performance. 
they're most at risk from Alfred Harry coming up through the pack as such and catching them out. So that's why Zach Brown's got to be in his bonnet because if Zach can't get McLaren to make this step up to challenge the top three and then the likes of Alfred Harry and Williams make a jump and come up from the bottom end, that puts McLaren in problems and potentially millions lost in prize money. So I understand what he's doing. He's protecting McLaren as he would do, being being the team team bosser there. Almost a team principal there, being the team boss of, of McLaren. And he's protecting his team from that risk. Is he going about it the right way? He looks like he's just yeah, stirring the pot a bit. Looks like a bit of sour grapes. So I'm not quite sure how it's being perceived by everyone else in the paddock. He seems to be the only one that we're hearing who has a problem with this partnership. Um, certainly publicly, I must stress. Whether or not we might have private people talking about it, as in, in the meetings, but to the press itself, it's only been Zach Brown with this being his bonnet about it. So be interested to see what the FIA do. They have said there is new guidance coming on teams that have got partnerships. So I really want to see how they approach this because ultimately they are in a separate teams. There is a risk of a crossover, but it's how much of that crossover is against the rules and how much of it is in that that lovely grey area of the FIA rules, which I think is where Zach's going with this is actually what if this grey area suddenly becomes an issue in Formula 1, especially with new car designs coming up. They will share the same engine supply, obviously. The engine supply is going to be done on site. It means that potentially Milton Keynes will house the engine and the area development of two Formula 1 teams all on one campus, which is where Zach's going with this one. So really intrigued to know what you think about that one. Really intrigued to know whether or not you think Zach's just being a bit dramatic or whether or not you think actually... There does need to be some clear guidelines from the FIA and Formula One on what you can do as a sister team within Formula One. And that, I think, pretty much wraps it up. Um, in terms of what's coming up next, so season's fast approaching. Like I said, we've got car launches coming in just a couple of weeks. Um, what can you expect from me this season? More podcasts. I'm terrible at podcasts. Um, so I really recommend that you hit that subscribe button because the regularity of me dropping the podcast is really bad. So if you're not subscribed, you won't get notified. Um, but yeah, I will be doing more podcasts this year. I will be appearing on other podcasts. So I'm going to be partner up once again this year with Fanamp, um, who have been great over the winter in terms of providing some content. So we did Family Feud competition. We've been keeping the news going. If you haven't already, go check it out. Go download the app. Um, Fanamp has got all of the latest up-to-date Formula 1 news. It's got great creators on there, you know, ranging from creators who do comedy sketches, like myself, do news, do travel on there, do race advice, the fantasy Formula guys who I'm going to be teaming up with again for all of your fantasy Formula 1 needs as well. So literally everything all under one umbrella, one app. Really recommend downloading it. Go check it out. It's having some updates done to it as well to make it a lot more user-friendly going forward for next year as well, which is really exciting. And like I say, I can't wait to partner with them again next year. So I'm going to be with the Formula Fantasy guys, Adam and Rob, um, before qualifying each race. So we're going to be going over all the latest news. They're going to be approaching it from how it affects your fantasy Formula 1, which I really need to get more into this year because I was rubbish at it last year. And I'm going to be providing all the technical stuff around what's been happening with the teams, what's to, to expect what to expect with strategy, how that's going to affect you fantasy Formula Boys points, but also just from a general, what's going on with the Formula 1 teams if you want to tune in for that one. So I'd say that's going to be live before qualifying, before each race. So that's really exciting to do that one. Um, in terms of me, if you want to subscribe to my socials, 
I'll put the link in the description for this podcast and this video. But you can find me at F1 Coffee Corner. I'm literally on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, now on Threads, and you know, YouTube as well. So hit that subscribe button. Drop me a follow if you like this sort of content. Um, I do like to bring breaking Formula 1 news. I don't like to get into the gossip side of things. Um, I prefer to keep it factually as much as I can. Obviously, sometimes it's a little bit difficult, but I like to do that side of things. So if you want up-to-date Formula 1 news, hit that subscribe button, hit that follow button. And like I say, download FanAmp as well, because that'll get you all latest into the Formula 1 news. They've got all creative news stories as well, as not just my own on there, on the main page. Plus, you get notifications every day about breaking news, about news that's happening. So if you do want an app that's dedicated to Formula 1, definitely recommend FanAmp. And that's all for me on this one. So like I said, I'll see you soon. I will be appearing on some podcasts. Um, I'm not going to let the cat out the bag on which ones yet. But I have just recorded with Jacob for the 107 podcast. Ash was unfortunately in America, so he wasn't able to join us. We are going to do a joint one coming up soon with a bingo card for the 2024 season. So check that out as well. That one's coming up. But if you haven't already, head on over to the 107 podcast where Jacob and I talked about Gunter Stein leaving and pretty much just had a catch-up on Formula 1 for about an hour and a half. So if you want to listen to just two people talking random Formula 1 stuff, ranging from how effective is sponsorship, Gunter Steiner leaving, all sorts on there. Go and give that podcast a listen out to as well. And keep your eye on my social medias to see where I'll pop up with next. But I can tell you I'm recording one next week. And Family Feud is still ongoing over on FanAmp on their YouTube channel as well. So that's all for me at the moment. And I will catch you all very soon. Thanks for listening. Take care.